Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 1st of April 2013. For newcomers, as always, I suggest you make good use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. Lots and lots of audios for download where I go through the system of the big uh, monopolists really that formed their foundations a long, long time ago. A big club, you might say, of the richest people on the planet. And they decide to bring in a new world order with themselves, of course, in charge of it, all run by economics. And they also have all academia on board. They have, uh, they, they have hundreds and hundreds of think tanks working on behaviorism, neuroscience, and so on, all ways to manage the mass herd, as they call us, and, uh, and also to bring in new society where we're, we're managed properly. In other words, less uh, free decisions for you to make, and it'll all be done by uh, government agencies uh, down the pike. In fact, it's already happening in some countries like Scotland where they give you psychological evaluations as young as two months, believe it or not, and then onward throughout your life. So you're being you're going into the planned society. The old one was untidy, they said at the top, because they, they, we didn't want to go. People had free choices, you see, and they didn't want to go along with someone else's idea. And um, that's all got to stop, apparently, as we get trained and trained and trained to go into the mass man mode. And unfortunately, most folk are succumbing to it too. They're all like clones of each other with their cell phones and staring at, at them all the time and bumping at your lampposts and stuff like that. Anyway, find out how it all happened and you can do so by going into cuttingthroughthemedias.com. And remember, you can also get all the audios and all the sites listed there for free, download. And you can get transcripts in English if you go into alanwattsentient.sentinel.eu for print up. And, and the rest of them carry transcripts and other, in English as well. As you say, other languages too at the Sentinel Post. So help yourself to that. Remember to you, the audience that bring me to you, you can help me take along here by getting the books and this at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And, uh, and the books are different. I show you the art of chronology down through the ages to the present time because it is all chronology. It's all about shaping your, your reality. And it's an old, old science very old science. It's much better today, of course, because there's so many working on it and instant communication and plus you have a standardized news and so on. Everyone gets the same downloads every day and to, to upgrade their systems, their personal systems, which is you and your brains, of course. And from the U.S., you can remember to order the books. You can use personal checks or international postal money or from the post office. You can still use uh, send cash or you can use PayPal across the world Western Union MoneyGram. PayPal. And straight donations are seriously welcome as we go through this hyperinflation and all the rest of it and austerity and all the other tricks that were planned a long, long time ago. Because this is the time, you see, to bring it all under wraps, basically. And uh, the bank crashes of 2008 were planned that way. Lots of information came out over the years to show you that the big boys got together, all the top banks, and planned it. They knew what was going to happen. They knew they were too big to fail. They knew the public would bail them all out. But apart from that, too, it was the global strategy to give more and more power to the big organization that was set up by the Royal Institute of International Affairs a long time ago to bring in this world governmental system. And when they, they instituted the Bank for International Settlements, in Basel, Switzerland, they created the IMF, 
and the World Bank. And they also uh, have, have all the private central banks running the countries now under the umbrella guidance of the Bank for International Settlement. So it's all planned to bring in this system today and to bring in austerity at this particular time. And that's why they had to go through their bank crash, which wasn't a crash. It was a bank plunder, a bank plunder. And it, and it succeeded twofold. It gave them excess wealth. The money didn't disappear. You might have not believe it or not. There was lots of real tangible businesses and factories across the planet, in fact, ended up in their hands for nothing and foreclosures. And also, too, uh, they got a lot of their property back. Even though people had been paying money into mortgages, they got it all back for nothing and started all over again. Plus, we bailed them all out too. So they've really increased their income tremendously with their planned crashes. But the whole idea was to bring in this new system. And here's the music, so come back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, we're cutting through the matrix, talking about the big system. And you understand too, when Carol Quigley, who was the historian for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Dash Council on Foreign Relations, this private massive organization, this big foundation that runs media and so on, and they set up the banks, etc., and, and the banking system, he said that uh, they would need crisis, basically. The crisis would develop, and of course it would bring up these banks and all of the different branches like the IMF, to their proper stature. Well, this is why all of this is happening today. And um, it's an article here, for instance, that talks about this, and it mentions that it says the Cyprus model may be the guide for future bank bailouts. And it mentions Joran Disselbaum's uh, game plan. He's now head of the European banking system on behalf of the EU, that is. He's a head guy. And it says, when the 47-year-old Dutch finance minister became head of the Eurogroup three months ago, the first thing he did was deactivate his Twitter account. In meetings of the finance ministers of the 17 Eurozone states, he let his counterparts do most of the talking. And it said, most thought it was going to be the most boring of all the heads of the same department. But they dropped a bombshell, it says, in Brussels last Monday. And he said... Um, he detonated the bomb. The way that large depositors and creditors were being drawn into the bailout of Cypriot banks, he said, could become a model for the entire Eurozone. This is the head for all the, the, the put in charge of the banking systems for the EU Parliament. And so it could, it could become a model for the entire Eurozone. In other words, it's a precedent. They set a precedent. The public sort of yawned and oh, well, that's in Cyprus. It won't affect us. But it's actually a legality because we're global now. What happens in one country becomes a legality in all the countries now. You understand? It says, uh, in future aid packages, he said, one must look into whether bank shareholders, bondholders, and large depositors could participate so as to spare taxpayers from having to foot the bill. In other words, if you've got deposits in these banks, you're going to participate and help bailing them out. And they're calling it a haircut, which, of course, is natural theft. It's outright plunder. That's what it is. And he was announcing nothing less than a 180-degree about-face. It says, Cyprus is a model. And Disselblom had hardly finished his comments before international news agencies began registering its impacts. Markets around the world nosedived, euro sank to a four-month low, and EU leaders had to rush into damage control mode, as did the man who triggered the storm himself. Disselblom backtracked by saying that separate banks were obviously a special case. 
Germany's top-selling daily tabloid Bild scoffed that Dusselblom would get a new nickname in Brussels called Dusselblom, the rough equivalent of Dimwit Blom, because he let the cat out the bag. So the ridicule might uh, prove premature. In reality, Dusselblom merely expressed something that many Europeans already think. Where at the European Parliament or in several continental capitals, many are saying that the time is ripe for the financial sector to assume a greater share of the cost for rescuing ailing banks. And they say banks now must save themselves. So more is at stake than determining just how to deal with insolvent financial institutions as about core tenets of the bailout strategy being followed by the EU. Since the collapse of the Lehman Brothers in 2008, it's primarily been EU taxpayers who have assumed liability for the fallout. Filling banks such as Germany's Hypo Real Estate or Spain's Bankia were kept on artificial life support while shareholders and creditors were spared. The advantages were enjoyed not only by actors on the global financial markets but also by their major banking centres such as those in Luxembourg and London which could count on seeing governments prop up teetering financial institutions, in other words, taxpayer bailouts. And a growing number of politicians and experts are demanding an end to this arrangement. And the future German Chancellor Angela Merkel said banks must save themselves, so they only just plunder the accounts of, of, the, of the little depositors, not the big boys. This is in German Central Bank uh, board member Andreas Dombrot is convinced that the financial sector can only regain health once there are no longer implicit state guarantees for banks. So Cyprus, of course, was set up to be a test case, a trial balloon to see how everybody else would accept it and to get you ready for coming elsewhere because that will be the way of the future. And Of course, banks aren't going to cut back in all their scandalous investments and so on and they're supposed to keep so much money in reserve, which most of them don't to go way over that. And so this is um, it's going to, there's going to be more of this happening, obviously. And another article says five reasons you should care about Cyprus. It says, unless you're a student of history or a planning a military invocation, you may never have given the islands of Cyprus much thought. Then suddenly it dominated the headlines for several days. What does a banking crisis in a small, far-off land mean to you? It says, five reasons you should care about Cyprus. The unthinkable is no longer unthinkable. Deposits in savings accounts, especially insured ones, are supposed to be rock-solid safe. However, the original deal negotiated between Cypriot officials and the European Central Bank called for a 6.75 levy on deposits below $100,000 and a 9.9% tax on larger deposits. That proposal was ultimately replaced by one that would just freeze deposits over 100000 Any penalty on depositors and disturbing is disturbing, and the fact that the European Union even considered confiscation of a portion of guaranteed deposits is especially troubling. Number two, offshore accounts just got a little scarier. Cyprus has been a favourite haven for foreign depositors. Right about now, anyone who has been squirrelling money away in an offshore account, whether it's Cyprus or the Cayman Islands or elsewhere, must be having second thoughts. Number three, it almost brought Russia to the grown-up table, it says, because many of those foreign depositors are Russian Cypriot officials at one point sought financial assistance from Russia. No deal was reached, but just the fact that the idea was discussed as an intriguing might have been. Large developing economies such as Russia's, China's and Brazil's have a growing amount of economic muscle. Be helpful if they started to share the burden of safeguarding global economic security instead of the task always falling to the United Nations and the European Union. Number four, it's a reminder to check your deposit insurance coverage. It says, could this type of unexpected seizure of deposits happen here? 
You'd like to think not, but the truth is it really depends on how big the next banking crisis is. Everyone's been trained there's going to be another one, you see. So it's, so it's coming. It's part of the plan to bring you into austerity and, and legalizing the plunder. It says FDIC insurance fund is on uh, one line of defense against that. It's not inexhaustible, but it means that there can be a distinction between uninsured and insured deposits. The insurance limit is currently 250000 per depositor per bank, meaning you have, if you have more money than that insured, you have to spread it amongst different banks. This is the latest sign of how fragile an interconnected world is, because again, you're global. It's global plunder now, you see. Cyprus represents 0.2% of the European Union's GPP, and its problems are seen as a threat to the euro itself. In turn, that threat sent a shockwave through U.S. markets. Problems in Cyprus are already an example of the financial notion of contagion, the way one country's problems can quickly infect financial systems in other countries. As to Cyprus has a large ethnic Greek population, and its financial troubles can be traced to losses in Greek bonds. In short, when the Greek crisis has been out of the headlines for a few weeks, it doesn't mean that infection isn't still spreading. And also, too, they were, uh, as I say, it was like a, a, a kind of tax-free haven for a lot of big, big uh, uh, tycoons uh, in Russia, too. No doubt the Russian mafia is heavily involved in it as well. And you can do your own research on that to find out who they really are. And in Canada, this article came out too. This is that regime prepares for the confiscation of bank deposits to bail out banks. This is Canada. And it says here, as part of the 2013 budget in Canada, and I'll put this, all these links up tonight, remember, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and the PDF of the budget for Canada. Says the Minister of Finance tabled the economic action plan. This is what they call the budgets now. They don't get normal budgets, you get economic action plans. 2013, which included the newest buzzword, which is called bail-in. Bail-in is when they take your money from the, from the depositors. The Canadian government proposes to implement a bail-in regime for systemically important banks. The regime will be designed to ensure that in an unlikely event that a systemically important bank depletes its capital, the bank can be recapitalized and returned to viability through the very rapid conversion of central certain bank liabilities into regulatory capital will help reduce risk for taxpayers and the government will consult, consult stakeholders on how best to implement a bail-in regime in Canada. Implementation timelines will allow for a smooth transition for affected institutions, investors and other market participants. Systemically important banks will continue to be subject to existing risk management requirements, including enhanced supervision and recovery and resolution plans. This risk management framework will limit the unfair advantage that could be gained by Canada's systemically important banks through the mistaken belief by investors and other market participants that these institutions are too big to fail. So a depositor is an unsecured creditor to a bank. The Canadian government presents its position to be one of shielding the taxpayer from the need to pay for bailing out a failed bank. As a taxpayer, that's comforting. However, as a depositor, the phrase rapid conversion of certain bank liabilities into regulatory capital concerns me. My deposit is a bank's liability. Could depositors' fund, funds fall under the definition of certain bank liabilities? I searched the entire 442-page document. This is the budget one, the Canadian budget, and I cannot find what the term certain bank liabilities is defined. The prudent approach, I believe that it would be to assume that under certain conditions, certain bank liabilities will also will include depositors' funds, at least those funds in excess of Canadian $100,000, which is our so-called insured amount. 
even if it has noble intentions, now under a credit and derivatives collapse scenario. It's conceivable the Canadian government could be coerced or bullied by external agents into grabbing depositors' funds, just like what's happening in Cyrus. Well, you better believe they will, because these guys at the top are utter sharks. They run your banking systems. They're utter sharks. They're global too. They have no, they don't care what country they plunder, even if they're based in your own country. They don't care. He says, I find the newest Balin term being used since the Cyprus debacle quite amusing. It reminds me of the sitting and loving terms of the peace hippie generation. We all seem to be floating on the bathwater of fiat currency liquidity. Back with more after this. I'm back cutting through the matrix and also this one which I touched on last week too but it's worth repeating because it was from Toronto Star and it says Canada's six largest banks will be subject to more stringent supervision and requirements designed to reduce leverage after being designated too big to fail by the federal regulator. So the systemically important designation stems from the Basel Committee on Banking Oversight, a branch actually of the Bank for International Settlements a global group that has been developing measures to prevent a repeat of the 2008 financial crisis. This is the Office for the Superintendent of Financial Institutions says Tuesday that the Bank of Montreal, Bank of Nova Scotia, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, the National Bank of Canada, the Royal Bank of Canada and Toronto Dominion Bank will be required to increase their capital reserves to guard against losses. The banks will need to have what's known as a common equity tier 1 ratio of 8% as compared with 7% for smaller, less important financial institutions as of January 1st, 2016. Tier 1 capital includes the bank's outstanding common stock and cash reserves, which could be easily liquidated. And here's the important little bit here. It says, The measures are designed to limit the likelihood that a major bank would encounter distress or failure that could negatively impact the Canadian economy or taxpayers. No mention here about the depositors. See, that's who's going to pay for it all. The 2008 financial meltdown, so the collapse of Lehman Brothers, and so on and so on. And it says um, uh, it's um, it's going to fall again on depositors' shoulders, obviously, and that's just the, the story as it goes. And also, Cyprus's president-related company transfers 21 million euro uh, to London prior to the bailout agreement report. It says just before it actually, and lots of them did, and the ones in Russia did. They all got tipped off from insiders in the bank through their little clubs that they belong to. A company owned by in-laws of Cypriot President Nikos, uh, Nikos Anastadios uh, wired 21 million euro from Leakey Bank to London days before the Eurogroup's crisis-triggering Levy proposal claimed a Cypriot newspaper. And it says, during two days, 12 and 13 March, the company, this is A. Lutsios and Sons Limited, a co-owned by Lutsios, John, husband of Nikos, and a serious daughter, Elsa, took five promissory notes worth 21 million euros from Lakey Bank. The money was then transferred to London, reported the Cypriot newspaper Harav, uh, affiliated to the communist-rooted AKEL party. The withdrawal was fulfilled just three days before the Eurogroup meeting, when Eurofinance ministers agreed a 10 billion euro bailout for Cyprus. The company, however, had, has firmly denied the reports. 
Newsbury recalls that Cyprus Finance Minister Michaelis Saris politically admitted the government was aware in advance about the Eurogroup's intentions to impose a haircut towards its plundering of accounts on bank deposits of more than €100,000. Spokesman for the AKEL, uh, Stavros uh, Evagaru, has called an investigation committee to check the information regarding money withdrawal by Anastasius Hidis, family members, as well as other reports about money transfer from the country on the eve of the Eurogroup's levy decision. So, lots goes on. And of course, the same thing happens in other places too, when they've done the same, similar kind of things in the past. The insiders always get advance warning because with their boys inside the banks, they've got to tell them. And away they go with the cash. Also, too, this is an old program, but it's, it's kind of like a handout to the, to the, by the government in a sense. It says Canada's new visa program is to attract, uh, to attract, attract entrepreneurs from envied U.S. Uh, or, in other words, the U.S. is envying. It's a terrible way they write the headlines these days. Envied, uh, the U.S. is going to envy Canada's new visa program. This is a new immigration initiative beginning April 1st to create high-tech jobs for Canadians by making it easier for foreign entrepreneurs to get visas. They were talking about this last year. It's a new immigration initiative beginning April 1st to create the high-tech jobs for Canadians by making it easier for them to get visas into the country. Within 24 hours, I think they call it 24-hour visas. They can just apply for it and then they're in. So... This is called the Startup Visa Program. It encourages foreign entrepreneurs to come to Canada and work alongside investors and mentors to create new businesses, particularly in the high-tech field, create new jobs and spur economic growth. Now, it sounds wonderful, except this kind of thing has been tried in Britain for over many years, and even Ireland tried it too, and they've all been kicked in the teeth and, and so on, and it doesn't benefit the people at all. That's all I'm going to say about that. Also, too, Cyprus, there's more going on in Cyprus than you imagine. It's Cyprus and the emerging Mediterranean gas wars. Now, I was watching a documentary last night um, to do with um, uh, the pre-9-11 attack, actually, on Afghan- uh, uh, that, fought, that led to the Afghanistan war and then Iraq war. And they showed you all of the, the meetings that uh, the big gas and oil companies were having in the U.S. and in London. Washington and London prior to 9-11 happen, happening and they're talking about the different gas pipelines they wanted to put up across these different countries but unfortunately these were sovereign countries so there's only one way to do it and that was to attack them all and plunder all steal the stuff yourselves for your big corporations then put in the pipelines it's quite amazing and even Cyprus too did that down as well anyway it says Cyprus and the emerging Mediterranean gas wars and, and it says the bizarre drama currently playing out over a Cyprus bailout in, or bail-in, they call it now, has another entire dimension. That is a behind-the-scenes battle for control of the expanding EU natural gas markets over the coming decades. For more than a century, a major background factor in numerous wars across the globe has been the control of oil. Now with governments across Europe trying to lower their carbon footprints, gas and wars over control of gas are emerging. The bizarre conflict over Cyprus and Greece, as well as Syria, have more, uh, more than little to do with the new gas wars geopolitics. In December 2011, Texas's Noble Energy found a field offshore Cyprus estimated to hold at least 7 TCF of natural gas. Noble Energy found huge gas reserves offshore in Israel in 2010. Actually, they found it off Gaza, (laughs) believe it or not, giving Israel for the first time the prospect of becoming a major gas player too. Now go on with this article and come back from this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, we're back cutting through the meetings talking about the geopolitics and the wars that go on for profit, for private interests, big private interests. But of course, your countries supply all the military equipment and armies to, to make it all happen. This is to do with the gas wars. And as I mentioned before, too, they had them all planned long before 9-11 happened. Even the maps from the PNAC group had, had these things on it, too. And this article here I'm reading talks about um, uh, Cyprus again and the, 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 the emerging Mediterranean gas wars. And it says here that um, now Qatar, Qatar is really, uh, again, a little proxy of the U.S. That's where all the, the, the weapons and ammo is, is shipped into by the U.S. government that ends up attacking Syria and so on. Because Qatar is a major uh, backer of the toppling of the Assad regime in Syria, and it's got a vested interest there to, related to gas. Qatar has bid to become the world's premier LNG gas exporter. Its north field is contagious. Uh, contiguous to Iran's South Pars gas field in the middle of the Persian Gulf. Qatar at the moment is backed by Turkey against Assad's Syrian regime. Now a major motivation to both want Assad off the map and chaos in Syria might be just that. In July 2011, Syria, Iran and Iraq signed a $10,000 billion agreement for a gas pipeline from Iran's port Asaluya near South Pars to Damascus, Syria via Iraq and, and Iran plans to extend the pipeline from Damascus to Lebanon's Mediterranean port, which would be delivered to the EU markets. According to Qatar's determination to destroy the Syria-Iraq, uh, uh, Iran-Iraq gas corporation, is a discovery in August 2011 by Syrian exploration companies of a huge new gas field near the border with Lebanon and at Tartus on the Syrian Mediterranean. Any export of Syrian or Iranian gas to the EU would go through the Russian-tied port of Tartus. According to informed Algerian sources, the new Syrian gas discoveries are believed to equal or exceed those of Qatar. And the Iran-Iraq-Syria gas pipeline to the EU would be a de facto Shiite pipeline from Shiite Iran via Shiite-majority um, Iraq into Shiite-friendly Alawites al-Assad's Syria. No surprise that Qatar backs an anti-Shiite Muslim Brotherhood solution for Syria, Qatar-friendly. Sunni Salafist Qatar hosts the Brotherhood presently, as well as the U.S. military and the British interesting combination, it says. Enter Israel now as a new uh, major gas player. Russia, the steadfast backer of Assad and Syrian defender of, of Russian naval rights at Syria's Tartus port, has weighed in on the side of Israel. Nothing personal, just business, geopolitical energy business. Tamar natural gas field off the coast of Israel is expected to begin yielding gas for Israel's use in 2013. Tony Blair was involved in that setup too, by the way, when they found that there. And he was in with J.P. Morgan helping, and they were funding the exploration uh, over outside Israel and uh, to do with uh, massive finds they found there. This is an and Noble, Noble Company, Texas, in late 2010, for an enormous natural gas field, Leviathan, they call it, offshore of Israel, in the Levantine Basin. On February 26, Russia's Gazprom signed a 20-year deal with Levant LNG Marketing Corps to exclusively buy liquefied natural gas from Israel's offshore Tamar field, also in the Mediterranean off the coast of Haifa. Gazprom has reportedly during the, the crisis also offered Cyprus to develop its gas reserves. So, this goes on and on. I'll put up tonight, but it's all to do with geopolitics and the plundering the planet by the big corporations, again, using your militaries and all the rest of it, and terrible, very, very superficial propaganda. Uh, that's all they need nowadays is simple propaganda to get the public to yawn and go back to sleep, isn't it? Sad, isn't it? But planned even before 9-11 happened, all this stuff. And also, 
Another article up tonight too is called Earth Killing Schemes Need Global Sign-Off Researchers. Now we know we've been sprayed continuously since about 97, 98 by those who've got, who don't stare at their little cell phones but actually don't have them and they look up in the sky and things like that. Things that are normal. You've been seeing it so steadily since about 1998. This is controversial geoengineering projects that may be used to cool the planet must be approved by world governments to reduce the danger of catastrophic accidents, British scientists said. The Met Office researchers have called for global oversight of the radical schemes after studies showed they could have huge and unintended impacts on some of the world's most vulnerable people. Well, we're all vulnerable because we all breathe, and this stuff is highly toxic to your health. The dangers arose in projects that cooled the planet unevenly. In some cases, these caused... So he's an admission here, right? In some cases, these caused devastating droughts across Africa. This is their, this is their geo um, uh, engineering, and others. The increased rainfall in the region but left huge areas of Brazil parched. Says the massive complexities associated with geoengineering and the potential for winners and losers means that some form of global governance is essential. Said Jim Haywood of the Met Office's Hadley Center in Essex or Exeter. The warnings build on work by scientists and engineers to agree a regulatory framework that would ban full-scale geoengineering projects, at least temporarily, but allow smaller research projects to go ahead. Geoengineering comes in many flavors, but amongst the more plausible are solar radiation management, schemes that would spray huge amounts of sun-reflecting particles high into the atmosphere to simulate the cooling effects of volcanic eruptions. We're breathing all this stuff in, folks. We have been for years now. They know it too. Uh, Your health services know it. They keep stats and everything. They've seen that bronchitis, pneumonia, skyrocket. Skyrocket. Never mind the deaths, too. There's been, of course, there've been deaths with it. They're very young and the elderly. So this is, in 2009, a Royal Society report warned that geoengineering was not an alternative to cutting greenhouse gas emissions, but conceded the technology might be needed in the event of a climate emergency. Well, they've created an emergency. They've caused all the problems. Writing in the journal Nature, Climate Change... Hayward and others show that moves to cool the, the climate by spraying sulphate particles into the atmosphere would go spectacularly wrong. They began by looking at the unexpected impacts of volcanic eruptions and so on and so on. They go with their nonsense. But anyway, I'll put in two PDFs, one from, from this group's uh, advised uh, recommendations to the governments, the British government, and the government's answer to it, two PDFs, government response to geoengineering. But they're already doing it, as I say. And that's where you're getting uh, some strange weather here and there where they've been spraying heavily. You can actually watch them do it, and you know what's coming if you've been watching it long enough. You know what's going to give you a storm or what they're going to give you. And you get so sick looking at this, this milky white sky. No defined cloud, just milky whites with all the heavy spraying. Now, this other article, too, is about what they have to do in the U.S., of course, is to get it into line with all the other countries. And remember, they've been at war. People have been at war with the U.S. for since some of the guys immigrated into the U.S. Another group came in and went to work criticizing everything about it as culture, its systems, and so on. And they brought on the 60s revolutions and cultural revolutions and so on. And social revolutions has all been done to destroy that which was, you see, and to gain power themselves, actually. And one thing they said way back then and over and over again is to have to disarm the American public. Even the American uh, Communist Society said that uh, many, many years ago. 
So they've got to America, they think, at the right stage now to disarm them. And it says, how Obama is sidestepping Congress on gun control. It says, with a looming gun control vote in the Democratic-controlled Senate scheduled for next month, the Obama administration is realizing its dream of a greater gun control legislation may have been just that, a dream. Reason being is that whatever the bill uh, the Senate puts together, the odds are that the Republicans are in the House, most of whom have been undeterred by Obama's Twitter bots harassing their accounts daily, will likely mark the legislation dead on arrival. Even Democrats' top man in the Senate, Harry Reid, recently admitted that even amongst Democrats in this chamber, the bill probably won't have enough support to pass. Still yet, a defiant President Obama is pressing forward with gun control agenda, with or without their help via executive orders. You're under really uh, the old Roman-type rule of the tyrants. And unfortunately, the U.S. was kind of based on that, because the founding fathers said that they kind of based it on Rome. And in times of what they claimed were emergencies, a tyrant could stand up and just rule via orders. That was it. According to a recent report published by The Hill, the president has used his executive power to bolster the national background check system, jumpstart government research on the causes of gun violence, Maybe should look at Hollywood, maybe, and create a million-dollar uh, ad campaign. The steps have enabled federal law enforcement officials to have unprecedented access to many state records previously locked away from their eyes due to the nation's long-standing tradition of separation of powers, giving federal agents access to many state records that detail just who in our nation owns a firearm and how many. It actually gives them all, uh, everything about them, all their medical records, everything. Other steps have included eliminating many of the roadblocks that presently prevent state governments from notifying the federal government of individuals suspected or deemed to be mentally unstable. This again gives the federal government more power to investigate, restrict, and even detain such individuals. Earlier this month, the DOG announced a $20 million grant program aimed at incentivizing many of the red states who have previously refused to surrender their records to the NICS database. So I'll put this one up tonight too, because I'm not going to stop, obviously, and they've been after it. any excuse will do. And of course, they'll always have excuses come down the pike, or create them, create the incidents if, if need be. The end justifies the means in this big world order. I mean, you understand that. The end always justifies the means. Another article I was watching, looking at yesterday too, was to do with um, some of the top military people just before Pearl Harbor events happened. And World War II, started World War II for the U.S. And uh, the top guys, even in charge of the, the top officers in charge of the big flotilla, uh, said that they were not warned that uh, they were going to get invaded by Japan. And Washington was well aware when and how it was going to happen. But they didn't tell the, the guys who were in, in charge of all the ships. And that was done in, that was in testimony from themselves. So, nothing's really new. When they need an event to make it, and that's simple as that, whatever it takes. It's always best to have lives lost, because then the public can board right away through emotion. Old, old technique, though. And also, too, Planned Parenthood, of course, that uh, Julian Huxley was uh, helping. He helped to found, you find Gates, and his, fa- his father, in fact, was heavily into Planned Parenthood. He helped found it, too. But, of course, it's to depopulate the world, or at least the, the, the kind of people they don't want around in the world, put it that way. Margaret Sanger was very, very vocal about who she wanted to be uh, brought down with, with children and so on. She said children were weeds. 
The shocking moments of Florida Planned Parenthood lobbyists defended doctor-assisted infanticide. That's the murder of babies that are actually born. When babies are born alive after botched abortions. And it says that uh, Florida Planned Parenthood lobbyist Elisa Lapolt Snow testified against a born alive infant protection bill that would give human rights to babies born after a botched abortion. She said doctors and abortion clinics should not be required to take such babies to a hospital, instead leaving the choice of what to do up to them and their patients. So leaving it up to the doctors, okay, they'll call it, won't be called murdered then, right? In the hearing Tuesday before the Florida House of Representatives Civil Justice Committee, state legislators were dumbfounded as Planned Parenthood lobbyists argued that pregnant women and healthcare providers should be permitted to terminate the lives of babies who are born alive after botched abortions. And um, it says HB 1129, Infants Born Alive Act, Snow said, inserts politics where it doesn't belong and attempts to interfere with a woman's ability to make her own personal medical decisions. Well, murder is murder, folks. You can't start fine-tuning it. If you start fine-tuning it, then you open up a Pandora's box. The bill was introduced by State Rep. Carrie Pigman, a board-certified emergency medicine physician. He has nine co-sponsors. It says, it's just really hard for me to even ask you this question, Republican State Rep. Jim Boyd said during the hearing, because I'm almost in disbelief. If a baby is born on a table as a result of a botched abortion, what would Planned Parenthood want to have happened to that child that's struggling for life? Snow replied, we believe that, you know, any decision that's made should be left up to the woman, her family, and the physician. But when you leave it up to, 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 to a little private group to start slaughtering, you're in big trouble. You understand, too, everything opens up to many other things, too. Many other things, too. You've already had that with, the, with um, euthanasia for the elderly in some countries, even Holland. Where people weren't meant to be euthanized, but some of the family wanted it to happen. And bingo, there you go. And then when nobody wanted to, to kill certain elderly people, because they could live a lot longer, actually, things like that, the state stepped in, and they come in, override it, and they send guys in to kill them. It saves cash. It saves cash, you see. They're not claiming their pension money. And they're not claiming for the treatment, you see. So anyway, this is how it goes. Once you knock one pillar down, you knock the rest of them down. And, of course, there are folk behind us who want to destroy the whole cultures. And they've done an awfully good job at it, too. And they admit it, by the way. And also, this, here's where you get now too. Now it's, it's quite no, it's known, well known in Britain. You get a lot of crazy judges. I've, I've lost count of the, the articles over many, many years, where they'd find them dead, uh, killed themselves by generally by mistake. One guy was dressed up as a woman. One judge, and he was found. He, he'd he'd put hooks across his his kitchen, I think it was, and put one to his neck with rope and one to his feet to try and do some strange thing like. Apparently choke themselves, apparently gives them a high during sexual masturbation. And things like that. You find it all the time as a dress with all these strange get-ups on. Things like that. And it's a standard joke in Britain because it's fairly common. But you, So here's another weird one in Britain. He says, this is different again. This guy likes criminals. He says, he provoked fury by describing a burglar as courageous. Now the same judge has refused to lock up this pedophile because he'd have had a hard time in prison. No kidding. So Judge Peter Bowers left Markin walk free despite being found with more sick images while already on a suspended jail sentence. His decision comes months after he caused public outreach for describing a serial burglar as courageous. And it says, um, 
all the time he was criticized for his choice of words, which were branded a serious error of judgment when opting not to jail Richard Rochford, 26 years old, in in September last year. Richford was instead given a one-year prison sentence suspended for 18 months. Following an investigation, Lord Chancellor and Lord Chief Justice upheld complaints about the judge's comments and issued him with a reprimand after his remarks damaged public confidence in the judicial process. I think it also tells you something about the judges in too as well, isn't it? Since the latest case, Martin was already on suspended jail sentence for making indecent images when police found more indecent images on his mobile phone. 24-year-old had been using his brother's computer to download other vile pictures of young boys and girls. These are really young children too. And it says here, it says in 2009 he was given a similar punishment and was ordered to go on a sex offenders treatment program to cure his addiction. Well, it doesn't cure them, folks. These guys are quite, uh, quite proud of the fact it doesn't touch them. A sexual offenses prevention order was also made which banned him from putting anti-forensic software on his computers which would hide his internet history. So the police found more and more and more as he goes on like they all do and the judge is standing up for the guy. So the judge must be of something in common, I would imagine. That's my opinion. And here's another one too in, in New York has to do with, um, you understand, we're, living, we're run by crooks and there's nothing more crooked than the guys who run the money systems. In fact, the money systems are crooked anyway, to start with. And I'll touch on this one when I come back. It's important too. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the big system which is utterly corrupt. The banking system was set up that way to be corrupt by the folk who set them up in the first place. It's a con game, of course. And uh, everyone's heard of the LIBOR scandal where the banks were, were reading the interest rates and, and many other things too. But says New York Reuters, it says, A judge on Friday dismissed a substantial portion of claims facing a number of banks in a barrage of lawsuits accusing them of interest rate rigging. So they got chill them off with it. The U.S. District Judge Naomi Reese Buchwald in Manhattan ruled on behalf of the banks, which included Bank of America Corps, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co., and others of allegedly manipulating London Interbank offered rates, commonly known as LIBOR. The judge granted the bank's motion to dismiss the plaintiff's federal antitrust claims and partially dismissed their claims of commodities manipulation. She also dismissed racketeering and state law claims. So she's well briefed to help these people out. She says, in a 161-page opinion, Buchwald said she recognized her ruling might be unexpected since several defendants had paid billions of dollars in penalties to government regulatory agencies. That goes into the ones that were already fined in Britain and elsewhere. And um, these three banks have reached settlements with authorities to date, most recently the Royal Bank of Scotland, which, by the way, that, that group is owned mainly, I think it's 80% or 75% owned by the British government. PLC agreed to pay $612 million to U.S. and British authorities. UBS AG agreed December to pay $1.5 billion, and Barclays agreed to pay $453 billion in June. So it's ongoing, but here's a judge letting them all off in the States, and it's quite something, isn't it? It's not surprising at all. Not surprising, at least. And also, two thousands more Americans are losing their homes this year, without one and a half million properties taken by banks. So it's up nine percent from 2012. 
So a number of foreclosure banks, these homes have risen by 9%. And it says, a reality survey found the worrying increase of the last three months compared to the same time 2012. The research by California-based Reality Track says a further 10.9 million American homeowners are at risk because they owe more than the property is worth. And it's amazing too, eh? That the, the cons and cons and cons is all these big crooks work together, including the real estate agencies and all the rest of it too. Eh? And it says such uh, situations occur when a bank notifies the owner of foreclosure but fails to go through with the sale simply because they do not think it's worth their while. Of the 1.5 million properties currently in the seizure process, more than 300,000 are stuck in limbo, not yet sold on, but abandoned by cash-strapped owners. If they don't sell a property, banks get insurance and tax from documenting the loss, which can often earn them more than a profit made on the house sale. So, as says, according to the Christian Science Monitor, it also means they can sell on debt to debt collectors. And uh, it says the house then becomes a so-called zombie property. The properties tend to fit, fall and disappear because absent owners remain responsible for their upkeep, but have moved on and don't realize it. Because vandals move in and so on and, and smash the place up and so on and so on. Florida was the worst state for such deserted properties with 301,874 zombie houses. Illinois and California were ranked second and third for zombies with Kentucky having the highest percentage of zombies per foreclosed properties. More, more than half of their bank seized homes were listed as empty and falling into ruin. States deal with the growing problem in different ways and some fund the properties upkeep while others bill absent owners to varying effects. Nothing's going to change, folks, till this whole money system is cleaned up and all those who run it at present are all kicked out and, and, and governments start making their own money again with different folk in charge from the general population, maybe even a rotating system of ordinary citizens spending a year oversights and committees and so on. Nothing's going to change otherwise. From Hamish Massey, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.